Greetings, Instrosurf Rock fans. I'm Lainey Reverb, coming to you from beautiful Berkeley, California, and this is Surf Guitar 101's podcast number six. In this show, and especially for the new year, I'm taking you out with the old and in with the new. By this, I mean I've got a whole bunch of great instro songs that were originally inspired by classical music. And I've also got a full set of great new songs by two bands who have brand new CDs just out, Los Twang Marvels and The Barb Wires. Additionally, and spanning the old and the new, I've got a great interview with legendary surf guitarist John Blair, which was conducted by Surf Guitar 101 regular Warren Binder. So, to take the year out with the old, the first song up is Furelise by Galaxy Trio.
started off that set with Furelise by Portland, Oregon band Galaxy Trio, doing Beethoven's famous classical piece. After the Galaxy Trio, we heard a song from 1964, 
Saber Dance by The Jokers, a first-wave Belgian Indo-rock band performing a song by Armenian composer Aram Kashatorian. Following The Jokers, we heard March of the Eagles by an early 60s instrumental band called The Eagles out of Bristol, England. That song was uh, their take on a Wagner march entitled Under the Double Eagle. And that last song was Return of the Greekster from the Beat Tornadoes, an awesome band out of Oslo, Norway, doing a tune from Norwegian composer Edvard Grieg. Okay, here's another set of classical music done up surf style. In keeping with the spirit of the holiday season, I give you kids the nut rocker.
First song on that set was The Nut Rocker by B. Bumble and the Stingers. That's from way back in 1962 and was a number one hit in the UK. It is, of course, more famously known as The March of the Wooden Soldiers, from Tchaikovsky's The Nutcracker Suite. Also from The Nutcracker, we heard Dance of the Sugar Plum Fairy, from terrific Finnish band The Lunatics. Following The Lunatics, we heard Serenade No. 13, from Canadian band The Veronics, off their CD Get Bach. That piece of music is also known as Ina Kleine Nacht Music, or A Little Night Music, by Mozart. And finally, the last song we heard was another Mozart tune. That was Rondo a la Turk, as performed by classic Australian band The Atlantics. Alright, next I've got what's known among radio DJs as a wash cycle set to play for you. That's when you play the same song twice, but by two different bands to contrast their unique interpretations and styles. I've actually got two wash cycles for you in this set. The first is Brahms Hungarian Dance Number no. 5 by Tarushi Takeshi and the Bunnies.
I started that wash cycle with Hungarian Dance No. 5 by Japanese band Terushi Takeshi and the Bunnies, doing a fantastic version of one of Johann Brahms' most famous works. Following that was a song called Continental Missile, also based on Brahms' Hungarian Dance, by classic first-wave surf band The Chantays. Then it was on to Tchaikovsky's Swan Lake. The first song was by East Coast surf band The Nebulas, doing the famous theme from Tchaikovsky's Ballet. And the second version of that song was called Saturday Night at the Duck Pond by British instro band The Cougars. Finally, the last song I played in that set was a tune from 1965, Satan's Holiday by the Lancasters. That was based on another Evard Greek tune, Hall of the Mountain King. Incidentally, a very young Richie Blackmore played guitar with the Lancasters. Blackmore, of course, went on to become the leader of hard rock band Deep Purple. Well, comrades, I've got one more set of classically inspired tunes lined up for you. This next song is called Pumpin' Surfing Stance by Frankie and the Pool Boys.
Starting things off in that set was Pumpin' Surfing Stands from Frankie and the Pool Boys, featuring Ferenc Dubroni on guitar and that true surf god of the drums, Mr. Dusty Watson. That's a tune more popularly known to uh, graduating students in the U.S. as Pomp and Circumstance, a military march by English composer Edward Elgar. Following that was Debussy's famous song, Claire de Lune, from the Tomorrow Men. 
Claire de Lune was followed by Bumblebee, a song from 1963 by Charles Blackwell Orchestra, doing their version of Flight of the Bumblebee, a song from Rimsky-Korsakoff. And the last song we heard was Charge of the Night Riders by John Blair and the Night Riders, which of course is Rossini's famous piece, The William Tell Overture. Speaking of John Blair, now it's time for Warren Binder's interview with the legendary guitarist himself. This is actually the first of a two-part interview, and we'll be bringing you the second half in our next podcast. Please stay tuned. Uh, this is Warren Binder with SurfGuitar101.com. I'm here at the Huntington Beach International Surfing Museum with John Blair, surf music historian, author, and guitarist, just John of the Night Riders. That's a lot to live up to. <laughs> Do you have a band back in the 60s? I had a garage band, yeah. It was a surf band called The Intruders. We were in Montclair, California. I don't really think we did very much. Uh, I've talked to people that remember hearing us, but I don't remember playing anywhere in that band except for my parents' garage. <laughs> uh, was it 78 you formed John of the Night Riders? 79, yeah. Uh, between that, is anybody playing surf music? Not really. Uh, between the 64 or so and 79, there really wasn't. There were uh, an, uh, there was the occasional surf revival concert, uh, which happened two or three times during that period at, at amusement parks and large uh, concert venues in Los Angeles. But I don't uh, I don't remember any surf bands during that 10 or 15 year period. Not at all. What was the motivation then to, to start one during that time? Um, I published the first edition of, of the surf music discography in 1978, and I sold quite a few copies. And I, it occurred to me that there was um, a grassroots interest in the music that I really didn't know about before. So that led me into thinking about putting a band together just to do a single of surf instrumentals for that particular audience because uh, recording, making a record was something I wanted to do in 63 and 64 but never did. So um, this was an opportunity for me to do that and I knew there was an audience for it. So in 79 I recorded the first John the Knight Rider single which was only intended as just the one single. That's all it was for, and, and uh, then I was going to sell that single and be done with it, and I would, I would have been a happy camper. I would have done something that I wanted to do many years earlier. But the single um, came to the attention of a record company in Los Angeles who then asked me to do a whole album of, of surf instrumentals, so it took off from there. I had no intention of going that far with it. So you never know. You never know what's going to happen sometimes. How, did you, uh, how were you able to get the first lineup of the band together? Um, they were guys, I, I was living in Riverside, California at the time, and they were just friends of mine who were musicians who played in the area in local uh, uh, cover bands, bar bands, and um, yeah, so they were just people that I knew. Were they interested in surf music at the time, or was that something that came from you? Um, no, they weren't really into surf music or interested in surf music, but it, it was enough of a... Um, novelty for them, I guess, as musicians to uh, to play in a band for the purpose of just doing the one record, you know. So for them, it was just a fun thing to do. It wasn't, there was no, again, there was no intention of anything long term here. 
It was just a very short-term thing. We'd get together three or four times, we rehearse four songs, and we'd go into somebody's living room, and, and we uh, record them, and then we press a record, and that was it. So. Um, I, some, uh, I'm kind of going off the assumption that um, some of the people listening to this won't have a, a full breadth of knowledge of your discography. So um, that first uh, record you did, what songs did you record for that? The first single was actually an EP. There were four tracks on it, uh, Rumble at Waikiki, uh, and that was an original. And the other three were covers, if I recall. Um, one was Alibaba, originally done by Dave and the Customs. One song was Bustin' Surfboards, which was originally by the Tornadoes. And the other one, the fourth one was Squad Car, an Eddie and the Showman tune that most people listening to this would probably be familiar with. Um, have those surfaced on CD since then? Hmm. I think a couple of them were put on a compilation out of Germany a few years ago called Banish to the Beach, I think. And then uh, from there you said you, the label wanted the, the full album, and that was Surfbeat 80, correct? Correct, yeah. And from there, how did things take off? Well, you know, it was... Uh, <laughs> in, in the early days uh, of the band... There was nothing planned, and everything that happened to us happened as a result of what just happened before that. So the, the, the EP was recorded, and I started selling it. It came to the attention of a record label in Los Angeles. They asked me to do an album. I thought I got the same guys together, and we did a full album for them, and that was supposed to be the end of it. And then the next thing I knew, uh, a concert promoter in Los Angeles was putting on a big surf show with the surf punks and Dick Dale and he, need, he needed an opening band and he just heard our album that had come out so I got a phone call asking us to open for Dick Dale and the surf punks at the Santa Monica Civic Auditorium which was this was in 79 and it was the first John the Night Riders show in front of people and it was in front of a full house the Santa Monica Civic which was maybe 3,000 people or so I don't don't remember but something like that and uh, again it was we had no plans for the next day but after that show when i went back to get paid the promoter turned out to be a a guy who was booking shows at the uh, a couple of the prominent nightclubs in la and he asked me if uh, my band would like to play at one of his clubs <laughs> so of course i said yes and one thing led to another and pretty soon we were playing uh, we were playing out several times a month at all the clubs in Los Angeles and eventually um, that led to the second album which was a live album at the Whiskey at Go-Go so just one thing led to another so that was the first show first show for at the Santa Monica Civic yeah with wow. the Surf Punks and Dick Dale okay. um, during uh, John and the Night Riders was there a particular gear setup you used that you were partial to? gear uh, typical gear for me has usually always been a Fender Stratocaster played through a reverb, Fender reverb unit into a dual showman I don't, uh, never have really used very many uh, pedals or effects uh, stage tuner and maybe um, a delay of some kind but by and large uh, your typical surf guitar setup, you know, Stratocaster, Fender reverb tank and a dual showman for live in studio? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, how extensively did you tour throughout the uh, the duration of the band? Well, we went to Europe um, five or six times, I think. Um, 
when the band was together. That would have been uh, over a 10 or 15 year period. And uh, we did uh, a couple of small tours here in this country, one in the Bay Area, San Francisco, Central California, and then we did another tour in the South through Georgia and Tennessee uh, at one point. But outside of that, that was most of our touring was, was in Europe. Were the audiences more receptive over there? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, European audiences are great, great audiences for this kind of music. They're very receptive, very energetic, and they, they turn out in, in good numbers sometimes for it. I guess aside from your, your first John and Night Rider show, which sounds like it was certainly memorable, was there another particular one that stood out? Hmm. Gosh. I think uh, the... the, the the one other show that stands out from those early days would be the first show we did on our first European tour, which was uh, quite a memory too. It was on a, uh, at a rockabilly festival in Holland, and we were the opening act for three rockabilly bands, and we were playing again in front of several thousand people. This is a huge festival in a very large concert hall. And the interesting thing about that, which has actually become kind of a legendary concert at this point, um, if you talk to some of our European friends, um, we were booed. People in that audience had come to hear rockabilly, not surf music. And uh, even though the, the two types of music have since kind of become conjoined at the hip almost, you, there, there are just a lot of concerts that feature both rockabilly bands and surf bands for whatever reason. At that time, it, was, um, it wasn't that way. And so for the most of the 45 minutes that we played, uh, we were not very welcomed. The crowd was not with us, let's say. However, we anticipated that. Thanks, uh, thanks to our drummer at the time, Greg Eckler, uh, we anticipated that. And so we had rehearsed a version of Dixie, a surf instrumental version of Dixie. And we ended our set with it. And no sooner had we played the opening three or four notes of that song than the entire several thousand people that were in the audience they went absolutely apeshit it was a total reverse from um, what they were how they were reacting to us up until that point so let's say we we didn't have the audience with us at all for 40 minutes and for five minutes of our set we had them in, a, in the, the palm of our hands so it was quite an interesting experience overall it was a, it was a memorable show is there one particular uh, album you feel best exemplifies John and the Night Riders? Oh boy, uh, tough question. I, I guess the one that comes to mind would be Moving Target, which I think was our last studio album. Um, I, with our records, we just we kept getting better, and I think we kept getting more. Um, Educated about the recording process as each record after we did each record. So the last one was uh, I think better recorded and the performances overall were better than than the prior records were. So that would probably be the one that I'd point to. Um, you guys certainly covered a lot of classic surf singles, but there were also some selections that kind of came out of left field. What was the uh, the inspiration between uh, like the the Beach Boys and Renettes cover or the the Garbage song that you guys did? Um, special you're talking about the well <clears throat> uh, let's see I, I've been a record collector for many years and I've, I've listened to a lot of um, a lot of records <laughs> and when bands 
especially surf bands tend to do covers, uh, they generally have tended to do common covers. And I guess with John and the Night Riders, it, uh, because I I just didn't want to follow that same pattern and, and cover songs that everybody else was covering. Uh, at the same time, I had a record collection, you know, just filled with obscure surf instrumentals. Uh, so uh, I kind of gravitated toward the idea of when a cover, when, when we did a cover, uh, I wanted it to be an obscure cover. There were uh, the occasional common covers, of course, um, that we did, and it, we did more co more common covers live than we, re we recorded on CD. But uh, by and large, um, the intention was to find obscure covers. In the case of um, the "Don't Worry, Baby" and "Be My Baby" uh, medley that we recorded, and the cover of um, "Garbage's Song Special." Uh, I don't quite know where that came from in my mind. I, with, with the garbage thing, uh, I remember seeing them on Saturday Night Live one night, and they did that song special. And when I, it was the first time I heard it. And when I heard it the first time, it occurred to me that the, the melody was strong enough to make a decent surf instrumental out of it. So that was kind of, I think, the inspiration behind um, doing. And I also recognized the fact that. Um, the way the melody was structured was perfect for Dave Ronsky's guitar style. So that's why uh, Dave, on, on the recording that we made of that, um, the live recording, um, Dave is playing the lead, and he does an incredible job of it, too. The Be My Baby thing is also Dave. Um, I, guess the, I guess those two songs were... Part of the reason I picked them was to give Dave a showcase for his, for his style. Uh, John and the Night Riders was very much a two-lead guitar band. So... Uh, I definitely wanted to showcase Dave. Also, too, I might add that the uh, the Be My Baby uh, medley with um, Don't Worry Baby was, was done that way because um, Brian Wilson has stated, and a lot of people know this, that Don't Worry Baby was intended to be a sequel to Be My Baby. So uh, that... Uh, and he wanted to give it to Phil Spector originally to record, presumably by the Ronettes, but Phil Spector turned it down, so Brian recorded the song with the Beach Boys, and it's one of the greatest rock songs ever written, actually, and recorded, Be My Baby, or Don't Worry Baby, I mean. So uh, because it was intended to be a sequel, I put them together. Yeah. Uh, it just seemed natural, and they flow together very nicely. They do. I know you mentioned the, the difference um, in sort of cover selection between the live shows and, and when you guys would record... Um, you did two different live albums, and then other tracks have surfaced from, I think if I'm not mistaken, even that first show, um, on various compilations and, and whatnot. Um, of the two live albums, is there one you prefer over the other? Yeah, probably the second one. The, I think you're talking about the uh, uh, Live in Long Beach CD, Raw and Alive. I think it was called. Uh, the first one was the Live at the Whiskey. I, I think the, the second one, to me, was um, a little bit better because it was recorded better. The performances were a little bit more edgy um, and spontaneous than they were at the Live at the Whiskey album. But um, that Whiskey album has a, a, a place in the hearts of a lot of fans of the band, so I, I can't ignore that either. We were um, we were one of the few bands to have recorded a live recorded live at the Whiskey. I think Johnny Rivers was one has a pretty legendary record that was released of him playing at the Whiskey, 
and there are probably a few others, but uh, at that time, um, there just hadn't been that many live recordings done there. So we were honored in that in that regard. Um, now you reissued Stampede not too long ago. Mm -hmm. uh, what brought that about? Um, Greg Russo, who um, has uh, this record label in New York, um, Crossfire Publications, I think is, he calls the label. Uh, I, I had started up a uh, conversation with him at one point. I don't remember exactly how we connected, but uh, the subject of the John and the Knight Riders catalog came up, and he just mentioned to me that he wanted to reissue um, some of our material that hadn't seen the digital light of day yet, and Stampede was the first choice. So um, I simply arranged with him to to put it out. He just was, he liked the band and uh, that uh, album had never had never been reissued on CD before so he took it upon himself to do that. That came out last, last year. Certainly did. Great interview, Warren, and many thanks to John Blair for the interview and for graciously allowing us to play several of his songs on this podcast. Right now I've got a set of John Blair songs to share with all of you, starting off with John and the Knight Riders' fantastic Rumble at Waikiki.
Okay, the first two songs were John and the Night Riders tunes, Rumble at Waikiki and Storm Dancer. The last song is a more recent recording from Blair and Tippins, that's John Blair and Marty Tippins to be exact, doing Clink Clink Classic, a modern interpretation of an old song from the Fireballs. Okay, before we go on to ringing in the new year with some brand new tunes from newly released CDs, I thought I'd play one more set ringing out the old, starting with a rare surf song that John Blair sent along for this show called Devil's Surf by the Crescents.
Man, that is awesome sax playing on that song. That was Baja Reba by Orange County Band, The Trademarks. We started off the set with Devil's Surf by The Crescents. They were a band that featured Chio, one of the very few female guitarists in surf music. After that, we heard Time Bomb from Anaheim, California band, The Avengers 6. And following Time Bomb was Latin Soul by San Luis Obispo band, The Sentinels. Now it's time to rock out and ring in the new year with some brand new music from a couple of totally fantastic instro surf rock bands. Hold on to your party hats, comrades, because these tunes are likely to blow you away like the cork on a bottle of champagne.
That was La Caja del Muerto by the Barb Wires from Stockholm, Sweden. That's from their latest, totally amazing new CD entitled Sea Rider. Before that, we heard two new songs from Los Twang Marvels from Berlin, Germany. The first song was called Return of the Space Cossack, and the second was Sea of Glory. Both songs can be found on their essential new CD, Jungle of Twang. If listeners are interested, you can find both of these CDs by visiting the Double Crown Records website on the web at dblcrown.com. Well, that's it for this podcast. I do hope you enjoyed it and that all our listeners enjoy a very happy and healthy new year in 2009. As the final song on the show, I'll be playing you yet another classic tune, Old Lang Syne, written by the Bard of Scotland, Robert Burns, and as interpreted here by the Smithereens, a band better known for power pop, but who here decided to channel both the Beach Boys and Instro Surf Rock. Should old acquaintance be forgot and never brought to mind? Should old acquaintance be forgot and old lang syne? For old lang syne, my dear, for old lang syne, we'll drink. Of kindness yet for days of old lang
Until we meet again next year, surf music fans, this has been Lady Reverb, who hopes you'll keep your music alive, the love in your heart, and that reverb tank in good working order.